Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. Mark Johnson was elected nearly two years ago as state superintendent of public instruction. For much of his tenure, he's been engaged in a power struggle with the State Board of Education over who's in charge of public education. Now that the North Carolina Supreme Court has sided with Johnson and the General Assembly, he's moved quickly to restructure the department, creating some new leadership positions, replacing some senior staff, and pushing ahead on several key initiatives as the new school year begins. We're going to sit down with Superintendent Johnson on the full show today to discuss those top priorities as well as key issues facing education in North Carolina. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. After average principal pay in North Carolina dropped to 50th nationally a year ago, the General Assembly responded with new investments, some $50 million, and a new principal pay plan. The plan switched from paying principals partially based on years of experience to paying them based on the size of the school and how their students do on end of grade tests. Now, some districts like Wake County now are planning to use local dollars to offset what would be big cuts for its most experienced principals. Legislators did extend a hold harmless provision last session that expires in June 2019. Controversy over House Bill 514, a law passed last session that authorized four Charlotte suburban communities to create and run their own charter schools for its residents, flared up last week. The Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board passed a resolution that would effectively block future CMS school construction in Matthews, Mint Hill, Huntersville, and Cornelius, the four towns that were authorized to create municipal charter schools. The board says it's not prudent to invest scarce school construction dollars in communities that may leave the district. The act also directs the superintendent of CMS to consider reassigning students to schools located within town boundaries. Finally, a new national report came out on school discipline last week from UCLA and the ACLU, and it found that children in America's public schools lost the more than 11 million instructional days due to suspensions during the 2015-2016 school year. Now, North Carolina's data, when you look at it, we fared pretty poorly compared to other states with more than 650,000 lost days and more concerning, a disproportionate rate of suspension for students of color and students with disability. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, our guest today is State Superintendent Mark Johnson. He was elected superintendent in November of 2016, and now with the State Board of Education lawsuit behind him, he's been very busy, but not too busy to come by and visit with us. So, Mark Johnson, welcome to Education Matters. Welcome back. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm glad we were able to make this work. I am too, particularly at the, particularly at the beginning of the school year. There's just so much going on that we had, uh, last week we, we talked about teachers and we had a superintendent on from, uh, who you actually wouldn't, Participate in right. their, their back-to-school things down in Johnston County, but um, good timing too for you to come on this week. You just um, just had a big announcement um, just this week about School Safety Month and school safety overall. So tell me what um, what you announced. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Um, it is an honor and a privilege to be the state superintendent of public instruction. And since I campaigned for this office, I made clear my top priorities of making sure the Department of Public Instruction better supports classrooms, better supports local leaders. Uh, reduces the amount of testing, gets better professional development out into the field. We've been working on that, but it is amazing how in this last year we have all seen 
that it is time that we have to take a stand and do something as a society to increase the safe environments in our schools. And that report you just uh, discussed, that's also part of a safe environment for students. Right. So it's gonna take all of us. It's going to take schools and school leaders and teachers. It's going to take law enforcement. It's going to take mental health professionals. And it's going to take parents and students themselves in order to really tackle these issues and make sure that every student has a safe environment in which to learn. So. This is, this is my obligation as the superintendent of public instruction. It's now also personal for me. Uh, just this week, I dropped off my, uh, my little girl to start her kindergarten experience at one of our traditional public schools. Uh, it's a very exciting time. Uh, it was a lot of emotions going on sure. when I watched her walk into that classroom. But I knew that she was going into a place where she would be loved, where she would, there would be affection and there would be good instruction and she was in good hands with those teachers. She's in good hands with uh, the principal. What I expect and hope, like every parent who has a child in our schools, they will be safe, their classmates will be safe, their teachers will be safe, and that, that is why it has become such an overarching priority of the NC Department of Public Instruction to make sure we are doing everything we can to help improve school safety. Uh, some quick highlights, the reason why we proclaim September School Safety Month, we worked very quickly over the summer to get additional funding from the General Assembly and to get that money out to school districts before school starts. We have more school resource officers in schools now. Those are sworn law enforcement officers. Uh, they are to protect and serve. Hopefully we never need them there for the worst that might happen, but they're there in case it does. More importantly, those school resource officers can help build a sense of community in the schools between students and law enforcement, and they can be there as a resource. But we know it's not just about those preventative yeah, measures. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, because I mean, school resource officers, and you mentioned some of the, some of the discipline disparity issues, sort of where is, it, sort of when you think about the priorities, where is it the, the mix of sort of you know, security, school resource officers versus mental health, which I think is what you wanted to that talk about. That is exactly. And, and, just, and just counseling and support overall for all children, right? Absolutely. Preventative measures such as better security for schools, securing schools, having, uh, just getting the message out to principals and teachers, make sure we follow protocols. Don't leave doors propped open. Have all visitors come in through the main entrance. Those are steps we have to take. I mean, we now live in a world that no one's happy about where we are, but we have to take those steps. But more importantly, as a society, we have to address these issues where they start, and that's mental health. We have a mental health system that has clearly let us down uh, in certain instances where students' issues have turned into tragedies, part of that is going to mean more funding. Right. More funding for more mental health and professionals. It's not enough right now. I mean, like, I know, like, that I, is correct. I, I think you mentioned in your press conference, but I mean, it's, I think it's 35. There's some grants and some one-time funding, but it's that, not the recurring dollars that schools need, right? That's exactly right. It's not. And what we're doing is we're using that money to fund innovative mental health supports through the course of this school year so that we will be able to ascertain what the need is and what some great strategies are to address these issues. And we're gonna come back to the General Assembly in their long session when they're writing their budget. And we've already talked with the General Assembly leadership about this, and we will be making uh, an ask for, for much more systemic funding for, for these priorities. Okay, well, let's move on to another priority that you've mentioned, um, reducing testing. I mean, now you've said, um, look, and a lot of folks have said they wanna reduce testing, uh, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, so I'm gonna talk about it later on in my final word. 
you can't change federal testing Correct. mandate, but you do have the, uh, the ability to work with the state board and the General Assembly on state mandates. What specifically do you want to see change? What do you want to eliminate um, in terms of testing? Look, let's start, let's start big and bold. We need to reform the entire system. And I'm taking steps at the Department of Public Instruction to reform the entire system. Now, first, I'm going to be able to pick the low-hanging fruit. Now that uh, the, the court case with the state board is settled, it's done, I manage the Department of Public Instruction, immediately for this year, we were able to change some of the recommendations for the in-class diagnostic tool. If there's a kindergarten through third grade teacher watching this show, they, they are very familiar with in-class. Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to make some of the requirements now optional and we scaled back on the recommendations for how often they have to assess students. That's one quick way that I was able to give teachers back more time to do what they entered the profession to do, which is teach. The next low-hanging fruit that we're going to be working on over the course of this school year will be reforming the policies that come out of the Department of Public Instruction around how tests are administered, those end-of-year tests. I had the experience last year when and I you proctored. You saw that, right? You went and proctored. I proctored. That was something, I mean, my sister's a teacher, so I hear about it too, but it does take, it's not just the time that the, the students um, use on testing, but it takes teachers out of other classes, and, and then you have kids sitting, waiting for, you know. Waiting. Well, you know, waiting Look, days. The tests are too long. The testing environment is unreasonably strict. Uh, all of that adds up to undue stress. I, can, I, I talked to the fourth grade teacher and I proctored in her classroom. We, we had a discussion afterward. I said, tell me some of the things that if you could just change right now would be some of the most impactful. And she said, I'm not even allowed to talk to my students about test taking strategies before I start the test. Now, if we can change that DPI, believe me, we're going to change it because teachers should be able to give motivational talks to their students and say, Remember, we've gone through this, we've practiced, here are your test-taking strategies. Uh, also, you're going to be seeing a, a push from my office to reduce the amount of time that students have to spend taking these tests in the school, during the school day. All right, let's talk about resources. Uh, I want to shift gears. You mentioned about um, needing, oh, you mentioned in the, in, the, in the context of school safety, but just overall, um, look, your department um, has been hit pretty hard with, yes. some, with some budget cuts. Uh, 3.2 million last year, 5 million, you, you had to lay off, I think about 40 employees. Right. Um, going into the 2018 budget session, um, you, this was of course during the, 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 the really the, the fight between you and the state board, y'all didn't have a, a, a common sort of budget request. Right. Did you go in um, and, 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 and make the case against these cuts? I did, okay. I did, I did publicly uh, and I did in private with uh, the General Assembly as well. There is a long history between the General Assembly and the Department of Public Instruction that led uh, to these cuts. I did actively work to try to stop the cuts for the last school year because I knew after we had those third-party operational review experts come in and lay out a path forward for the department, I knew that we needed to restructure the department. We needed to do more work in our IT division to, to better support schools and the department. We needed to restructure how we support low-performing schools because it shouldn't just be one division in the department that is responsible. It should be the entire department that works together. It should be curriculum, working with federal programs, working with, personal, uh, with, with digital learning uh, to get those great strategies in those schools. But I also knew that if we, if we took that budget cut, uh, that would just be less that we had to work with to build out that structure. And that's, that's the case I went and made. 
Uh, unfortunately, I was not successful. But uh, with what we do have, I am very optimistic about the work we're doing right now at the department to restructure to this focus where the entire department sees it as their mission to help low-performing schools. What, what were the, are there unmet needs that you're sort of looking at where you were now, now we're coming up on a long session, it'll be a whole new budget cycle. I mean, what are, uh, just, you know, we, we, we're going to go to commercial break in a minute, but sort of for your top, top line, what you're thinking about in terms of this is what I think I'm going to need. Oh, well, it's not just for the department, it's for all of uh -huh. North Carolina schools. I, mean, I, I will be pushing for more investment, and we've talked about this before, Innovation is not just a buzzword for me, mm -hmm. but we do have a system. And it's not that teachers aren't working hard. It's not that principals aren't working hard. We know they're working harder than ever. We have a system that was designed 100 years ago for an industrial age. We need to transform that system with teachers always have been the most important part of the classroom, always will be the most important part of the classroom, but we need to give them the tools and flexibility so that they can help their students enter into the new era of education, which will be focused more on personalized learning and students working at their pace so that you don't have a whole class that moves on if a student doesn't get the material. They'll be able to work through the content and every student will be able to move towards a more mastery-based, competency-based learning model. All right, well, we're gonna, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. We're gonna continue our conversation in just a minute, but uh, before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. Out of North Carolina's 100 counties, how many will have lost population between 2010 and 2020? Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer D, 38? Even though North Carolina is one of the fastest growing states in the nation, 38 of our 100 counties, mostly in rural and eastern North Carolina, are actually losing population. Now we're going to continue our conversation with State Superintendent Mark Johnson. Again, thanks for being here today. Um, I want to talk about teachers. About three months ago, Almost 20,000 teachers estimate were here in Raleigh to march and demand more support for public education. Now, you chose not to be in town mm -hmm. that day. Why don't you meet with them or speak to them when they were here? Oh, well, I'm, I'm always accessible to teachers, and I, and I go out across the state and I meet with teachers. And actually, I don't want to, I, I shouldn't promote this on the TV show, but teachers do email me, and we, we find times to actually meet one-on-one. -on -one. And sure. I, have, I have met with teachers one-on-one -on -one to discuss their concerns. Uh, that day, I was put in a, a really difficult choice to make. I support teachers, absolutely. I mean, teachers are the most important part of the classroom, always have been, always will be. They are the most important part of students learning at school. And I support the, the struggles that they're going through. I support many of the same objectives that they have. Uh, I have shown that through getting money out of the department and doing things like, buy, you know, the, last year we got $200 per K-3 reading teacher to go buy supplies. Uh, we started the Wolfpack Works professional development to do more intense focus on reading and literacy supports. We got Hill Center training across the entire state. Uh, we are very focused on what we can do for teachers. When that day occurred, I got a lot of concerns also from school bus drivers and cafeteria workers. Uh, they were not going to get paid that day because school was closed. I got a lot of concerns from parents whose students were gonna miss or have to be rearranged for an AP test 
uh, that was going to ha happen that day. Uh, these are all concerns that I have to take into account as the state superintendent who represents everyone. Uh, also, uh, I, I was concerned that students were going to lose instructional time during that day. Um, I, I do believe that it would have been, I mean, it was extremely impactful. I mean, we had, right. had 20,000 people in the streets right. of Raleigh. Sure. It would have been as impactful during a day of the session in the summer, and that way we wouldn't have lost instructional day because one of my goals that I've been very, very out front about is getting more time for teachers and students to focus on instruction, uh, something that didn't get a lot of press last year. I actually uh, canceled field testing. Field testing is when uh, we have to give tests in a school district just to test the new state standards. Uh, I made sure that we didn't have to do that and take up an entire day for a test that didn't even count for students because I was focused on getting teachers more time for that instruction. Uh, I absolutely support teachers. I just didn't want to see that happen during yeah. instructional day. The, um, we took our cameras down there and talked to a lot of teachers. You're out there. You're, you're very accessible to teachers. I see you all. I, I follow you on Twitter. You're out there talking to teachers. Um, what I kept hearing was about, was about it wasn't about teacher pay. Right. We're actually, you know, we've been moving in the, in the right direction in we the have teacher been. pay. And but it's about resources. Yes. And, you know, North Carolina ranks 39th. We're um, in per pupil funding, um, 8 out of 12 in the southeast. We're actually $2,000. This one really sticks in my craw as a native North Carolina. 2000 <laughs> less than South Carolina yes. right now. What do you think about it? Are we, are we investing enough dollars in, in public education right now? We need to invest more, but let me circle back to one of my points I made earlier about reforming the entire system of testing. We need to invest more in the ways that are gonna help transform our classrooms for the benefit of teachers and for students. And I am very excited about the personalized learning opportunities that are coming up. That obviously is going to mean a more investment in education. It's going to mean getting more devices and materials into classrooms. It's gonna mean more professional development for teachers so we don't just throw all this at them and say, here, go figure out yourself. It takes uh, significant professional development to help a teacher uh, really use the full benefit of what per personalized learning can do. Yes. Yeah, they, and PD is one of the things, I mean, you mentioned that, I mean, some, not all of it certainly comes out of, the, out of DPI, but professional development has been pretty meager in the last mm, decades. Yes, yes, and that's why you saw when I found money that wasn't making it to classrooms, that's why we use that money instead of just not going anywhere to start Wolfpack Works. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually just the other day was meeting with one of the top-notch math curriculum providers, a nonprofit in the entire nation, uh, talking about how we can get their curriculum into classrooms across North Carolina. And one of the key things they do, and this is a step towards personalized learning because you use a device with it, they don't just give the curriculum, they require that good professional development comes with it. So we're, we're actually in talks with that provider and philanthropist uh, to see what resources we can all put together to, to make that a reality. It's an exciting time for education. There's obviously a lot that we need to, dis to discuss when it comes to funding. Funding needs to go up. We need to make sure we're, we're putting that funding in the right targeted metrics uh, to best support teachers and move them away from you know, this old model of standard pace, standardized test, 
at the front of the classroom. We've talked about this mm -hmm. before at our innovation conference, how there are teachers that are breaking out of that even though they're in the system. We need to give the flexibility for every teacher and the support they need in order to break out of that and become instructional leaders of their classroom. Let students work through the content at their pace that works for them. Let the teacher become the leader of the classroom, uh, engaging them in what their interests are and be able to address their needs where they have them. Let some students excel if they can work ahead, but then catch the students who are falling behind before it's too late. All right, I wanna, we can't talk about education in North Carolina without talking about school choice. Um, I mean, you were elected state superintendent of public instruction, but like the U.S. education secretary, you've also been a supporter of private school vouchers, opportunity scholarships, uh, growth of charters, and other private things. You had, I think you were just with Governor, former Florida Governor Jeb Bush a few weeks ago, again, touting these programs. I guess you're, as a superintendent of public instruction, do you consider those programs public education? I, I am the superintendent of public instruction for the entire state of North Carolina. That means public school, traditional public school teachers and the, the over a thousand charter school teachers we have. That means all traditional public school students and the over 100,000 students we have in public charter schools. It also means that I need to look at all the policies that are gonna get us to the end of the day where we wanna be, and that is any student, no matter where they are born, no matter where they live, no matter what their background, has the opportunity to go to school, work hard, and succeed. That, that means I am open to having all options on the table. Now, I don't see it as having to be a zero-sum game. Right. I don't want this to be a program that takes away from traditional public schools. Traditional public schools have to work. Right. But you know, but schools. I mean, like so the voucher program, you know, it's, it's, it's primarily, we're talking about primarily private religious schools. Mm -hmm. um, you've seen some of the reports. Obviously, in your job, you, you read over these things. Um, there's been some issues that have come up about accountability and transparency. Do you think, there, do you think we can do more oh, in, in, in making sure that yes. these schools are serving students well? Yes. I'm, I, am, uh, I am someone who's a proponent of actually talking to them about uh, a, a standard metric that they would all have to go through in order to show that they are getting the results. Uh, I, am, I am also uh, not opposed to, under my leadership of the department, we're going to be taking a hard look at charter schools. Charter schools are supposed to be the laboratories mm -hmm. of innovation. They are supposed to be where we give more flexibility to public schools uh, that don't have to be in the same system as all the traditional public schools, but when that flexibility works, we can, we can then take it and, and scale it across the state. And we're actually seeing good results from traditional public schools who are using the restart model. And now we have the renewal school district, an entire school district that's gonna get that right. kind of flexibility. I'm very excited about that. But if a charter school isn't performing, and it's consistently not performing, that charter school needs to close. Right. Because, you know, false choice is not a choice. Right. All right, last week, we're out of time, but I got a, I got a wild card question for you at okay. the end here. I've heard from reliable sources <laughs> that you don't plan to run for re-election as state superintendent in 2020 and maybe running for lieutenant governor. You want to, <laughs> you want to, I, it's, it's out there. You, want, you ready? You want, you want to make some news today? No, no, it, it is out there. I'm flattered that people have uh, started talking in that direction. I am focused on where I can have the biggest impact. When I was in the classroom, I looked at the school board and I said, I bet if I got on the school board, I could do something and really make a difference. Right. When I was on the school board, I looked at state superintendent and I said, I know if I got to that department, I could make a difference. Right. I'm making that difference right now. Thank you for answering the question, Mark Johnson. Thank you, thank you for being on thank the show. I appreciate me. it. After the break, this week's final word.
If Superintendent Mark Johnson can reduce standardized testing, he'll certainly make a lot of students, teachers, and parents happy. Recent history, however, says it's much easier to talk about reducing tests than it is to actually do it. Part of the reason is because testing grew out of a legitimate concern that students weren't being prepared well enough, and the only way to know for sure is through testing. Then the testing industry itself became a powerful multi-billion dollar business. But the biggest hurdle to overcome may be lawmakers. High stakes standardized testing is a hallmark of school reform efforts with a fervent belief that schools and teachers must be held more accountable and the best way to do that is with testing. A national study found the average student in America's big city public schools takes 112 mandatory standardized tests between pre-kindergarten and the end of 12th grade. That's an average of about eight a year. Here in North Carolina, testing is embedded in education policy. New performance-based plans for pay plans for teachers and principals are based on testing. Our state's A to F school performance grading system relies on standardized test scores. And that system feeds into everything from our federal Every Student Succeeds Act plan to deciding on schools that may be taken over as part of the state's innovative school district. And for no single law added more required tests than the state's Read to Achieve initiative created in 2012. So, Superintendent Johnson, you will not need to convince parents or teachers that we test too much. They've been there for a while. The real convincing may be lawmakers themselves who can't seem to get enough of testing, at least when it comes to our public schools. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and make sure you tune in next week for our brand new Education Matters.